You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Welcome to Dental Talk. I'm Dr. Phil Klein. All through the pandemic, we have struggled with the issue of exposure to airborne infectious disease. To help us better understand the latest OSHA regulations and CDC guidance for respiratory protection, especially in light of these new variants, is Mary Gavoni, a world-respected expert in the field of infection control. Mary is an internationally recognized speaker, author, and consultant, working with dental teams for more than 40 years on clinical efficiency, infection prevention, ergonomics, and team communication. She has a master's in business administration and is a RDH and CDA. Mary, it's a pleasure to have you back on Dental Talk. It is always a pleasure to be here with you, Phil. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and the way things are changing, I mean, the last time we talked, there was no variants, and now I'm learning this morning that the Delta variant is now the cause of 83% of the cases in the United States. So it's just, it never ends, does it? No, it doesn't end. And and um, those that are listening can tell from the sound of my voice that I have a little respiratory issue going on. And, and no matter how careful you are, and I wear a mask out in public and I still um, managed to pick up some kind of a bug, but that 83% figure that we now know for the, the Delta variant cases is scary because it is, although we, we hear on the news, it is the variant or the transmission of the unvaccinated, but in those unvaccinated individuals, it's 60% more infectious than any of the other variants. And it tends to have worse symptoms and puts more people in the hospital. Um, The average age of someone who was hospitalized for COVID about four weeks ago was around 55 years old. And now that average age is 40. So we're seeing the younger and younger people being hospitalized and younger people dying. And of course, because we aren't vaccinating yet, anyone under 12 years old, that makes the young, youngest people in our country the most vulnerable to this virus. Yeah. And so has anybody that you know of, uh, not personally, but statistically died from the Delta variant who has been vaccinated? There have been, I think, two cases that I read about that have died, um, that got breakthrough infections, but it's very low. Most of all the public health experts are saying that it is the unvaccinated people who are getting sick, who are needing hospitalization, and who are dying, but there's always that exception. We still don't know how many breakthrough cases there might be Um, as this variant becomes more and more um, or mutates more and more and could become more resistant to vaccines or treatments. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about the mutations going forward and hopefully the booster shots that are being planned for those that have had the two doses already. Those booster shots may be hopefully more specific to uh, Delta and what other variants come down the road. But it's it's just really kind of a depressing situation. I hate to do these podcasts and never be able to give great news. So how does this affect dental practices, Mary? What do the team members that are vaccinated need to do, if anything, uh, with these new variants going around? Oh, that is such a great question. And I think what the, the team members really need to do is what I would call a reset, because when the CDC started 
um, loosening up the masking guidelines and so forth. Many of the dental teams believed that they also applied to their healthcare setting that if you didn't need to wear a mask in public because you were vaccinated, you didn't need to wear a mask when you came into a healthcare setting. And that was not true. The CDC has not changed that, that guideline. And so team members need to go back to the beginning and make sure that they're still screening and make sure that they're still asking their patients to come into the practice with a mask on, whether they are vaccinated or not. And the difference is that they will no doubt have to explain or perhaps have some argument or discussion with some patients is that they are a healthcare setting, not a general public setting. So they need to go back to taking temperatures like they were before and making sure that they're asking the screening questions when they're confirming appointments, when patients come in. And of course, that all important, wear a mask when you come in and when you leave. So the CDC has updated some of its guidance for dental settings. Can you highlight some of those for us? Yes, and this is very frustrating because we've been teased by the CDC with the possibility of uh, an update coming for a number of months now, and it just hasn't happened. And then it sort of happened under the radar. So it's confusing to an average person to go to the CDC webpage for the dental settings, de guidance for dental settings during COVID-19, the last updated version is dated December 4th. So unless you actually compared the version that was put out onto the web on December 4th with that version that's out there now and compared it side by side, you wouldn't necessarily know that it's been updated. So what the CDC did, the CDC originally stated that it was not recommended that we do aerosol generating procedures in dental settings, which really wasn't very realistic because pretty much everything we do is an aerosol generating procedure. And they removed that statement now. And they also then clarified what should be done if a dental team was going to treat a patient who had symptoms or was suspected of having um, COVID-19, said they had to do some emergency treatment. And they describe wearing an N95 and um, all of the precautions that we've been taking all along. But I think this has created a little confusion in that some people interpret this as if the patient doesn't have any symptoms or we don't suspect, then we could go back to just wearing a level three mask and not wearing a respirator. However, further into the guidance that has not changed, it says that in communities where there is still transmission and moderate community spread, which is pretty much every state right now, that you still do need to wear an N95 respirator for aerosol generating procedures. So it's not a huge change, but the ADA and some other groups have really pushed this as a big change in the guidelines, but it's really not. What is it with the emergency um, guidelines or, or exempt from emergency guidelines? Could you clarify what that's about? Absolutely. OSHA issued its emergency temporary standard for healthcare settings, and they 
put together a, a really well done, I think, flowchart for a healthcare setting to determine whether they needed to comply with this standard or not. And according to this flowchart, dentistry is exempt, and that's been widely publicized, that they're exempt from this particular standard by three things that qualify them. One is that they are a non hospital-based ambulatory care setting. So that is true of, of dental practices. And that they were screening, they're screening everyone coming into their facility and not allowing anyone with symptoms or with a known case of COVID to come into their facility. So if a dental practice meets all three of those criteria, then they're exempt from that particular standard. But it doesn't mean that everything goes back again to the way it was pre-pandemic. They still have to follow all of the CDC guidance for dentistry, which again is screening patients, ideally not even treating patients with known COVID cases or suspected COVID cases in their practice at all, that they really should be treated in a hospital-based setting that has negative air pressure rooms where the, the aerosols can't leave the room that may be produced during some type of a dental procedure. So all of this swirling around is just confusing the daylights out of people and no one really knows what to do. But the bottom line is nothing has significantly changed yet, no matter how tired we are of COVID regulation and talking about COVID. I actually had a doctor um, hire me to come and do some training. And he said to me, I don't want to talk about COVID anymore. And I said, well, then maybe I'm not the person to come and do the training for you because we have to talk about COVID. It's still there. We have to acknowledge that it's still there. Yeah, for sure. So, as far as aerosol procedures, which of course, yes. you know, the dentist and the hygienist and everybody else in the office is exposed to a lot of aerosols. What is the simple answer? Do I need to wear an N95 or not? The simple answer is that if you are doing an aerosol generating procedure, you do if you're in an area where there is a high, not even a high, moderate number of cases, which pretty much every state still is at this point. Okay, so, so, that, so that exemption doesn't really apply. No, it, it really doesn't. Um, and the thing is, there's been confusion too about what's an aerosol generating procedure and OSHA defined it in that emergency temporary standard very explicitly. They say the use of a high speed handpiece, the use of air polishing or air abrasion, an ultrasonic or sonic scaler or an air water syringe. Yeah. Any of those things is an aerosol generating procedure. The confusion came in when there were some groups that were saying that using a slow speed handpiece or polishing um, after a, a scaling procedure was aerosol generating. And that's really a spatter or splatter generating procedure. So you're going to pick up an air water syringe, a handpiece, a scaler, then you are producing aerosol. You need to wear an N95. Yeah. And there's no question this, when, you, when the dentist you spoke to said, we don't want to hear about COVID, that's crazy because... Philadelphia just made an announcement today that indoors, vaccinated or not, you have to wear a mask. Uh, and the other cities are following suit. So we're going back to what we were at before until we reach that level where, you know, I guess we're not seeing cases in the hospital, making sure that we're safe. They're going back to these old regulations. Absolutely. And it's something that many of us discussed 
when a lot of the mask regulations were lifted before we had a higher percentage of people vaccinated. Um, and it's really giving into public pressure that people want to go back to normal. They don't want to have to wear masks, but we didn't have the pandemic under control then. And there was a predictable surge now that's happening with these variants. And we're you know, discussing this Delta variant, we don't even know what's next coming down the pike, that it will continue to, um, to mutate and we're gonna have more and more. So until we get higher and higher levels of vaccination and people really truly practicing better respiratory hygiene, we're just gonna keep cycling through this, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree. Aside from wearing respirators, what can clinicians utilize Chericide to control uh, potentially infectious aerosols? Well, the simplest answer to this is HVE. And it may sound kind of silly that we think we should have something really much more sophisticated, like fogging the room or ultraviolet light or something. But we know from studies that if HVE is used, 90% of that aerosol is contained. And so the, the dentist and assistant teams have it down. You know, they're, they're, someone is there suctioning typically with the doctor at all times. It's the challenge of the hygienists. Um, and they don't necessarily have someone to um, bring in that second pair of hands to suction for them. And they're struggling with what kind of devices they can use that don't tie up their non-dominant hand so they're still able to use a mirror to reflect. And it's one of the things that we talked about in our previous webinar about using um, a hands-free suction device, something that can attach to the dental chair, something that can use a simple HVE tip that can be positioned very close to the area that's being scaled by the hygienist with an ultrasonic scaler that contains that aerosol and it's a very or should say a relatively inexpensive fix to bring something like that into the the treatment room um, as long as we can get the the hygienist to agree that that's a good way to to manage that aerosol we already have hve in pretty much all the treatment rooms the challenge then is having a device to be able to use it and having the capacity on the evacuation system to for it to be effective. You mentioned in your webinar an example of this kind of device. The one that that I'm really, really liking because of its adaptability is the hands-free HVE that's offered by Dentalese. It has such a nice flexible arm on it that it can easily be positioned right adjacent to the area where a hygienist is um, is suctioning. It takes a conventional HVE tip so we don't have to get a whole lot of other resources. It also comes with a small funnel-like device that can be used as well if you wanna cover a broader, um, broader area. So that's the one I would, I would look at. It, it seems to work very well. I have a lot of practices that have um, taken my advice and installed them and are using them and they love them. Yeah, and for our audience, if you wanna look that up, you can visit dentalease.com website. It's spelled dental E-Z. Just Google that and, and you'll find the HVE device that Mary's referring to. To wrap up this podcast, and it's been very interesting, Mary, as usual, um, as always, you're always kind of deciphering 
the CDC guidelines and trying to clear things up. But sometimes even when you clear them up, they become more confusing, right? That's just the, what's yeah. going on here. Yeah. Um, and that's not your fault by any means. Are there any issues that a dental practice might encounter when using HVE in multiple treatment rooms simultaneously? Absolutely. And that's one of the things that um, a lot of practices did not anticipate. They just figured they would just turn on all the HVE and we're good to go. But it depends on how their system was designed. And most of the time, the systems are designed in the equipment purchase to have the HVE going simultaneously in the doctor's treatment rooms, but not adding in the additional capacity or, or drain, if you will, on the system from the hygiene ops. So the hygienists typically using a saliva ejector only use a fifth of the resources that an HVE would from the evacuation system. So it's very important to make sure that a practice has been maintaining um, their vacuum system, that they work with a service technician um, to make sure that they do have enough capacity because they may have to add capacity to that system in order to be effective. And I don't see this just being a pandemic sort of thing. The lessons we've learned from this pandemic about aerosol exposure teach us that the hygienists, especially using a sonic or an ultrasonic scaler that produces the most aerosol of any procedure, says that that needs to be standard operating procedure for the hygienist. So it's really about making sure that your evacuation system is maintained and has the capacity to handle all the use at one time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes total sense. And uh, I really appreciate your time, Mary. I know you've been so busy talking and teaching and visiting dental offices and doing everything you do to get the information across. Um, you certainly have been a rock star in the last year and a half, and it continues to go that way. I, I, <laughs> I'm sure you didn't anticipate this in your career to be this popular, but you're, <laughs> you're extremely sought after in high demand. You know, this is your business. You certainly are an expert in it. So we really appreciate you giving us this insight. And um, we'll probably have you on a new podcast coming up soon to give us the latest uh, updates. I look forward to it. Okay. Thanks again, Mary. Feel better. Thank Take you. care of your cold. Uh, thank you.